Well, thank you all for being here this morning. And so Matthew chapter 22, and we're going to begin in verse number 41 here in just a moment. And the title of the message, and I've shared some of these truths with you in the past, and some of you it might be a review, but I hope the Holy Spirit will make these truths afresh and anew in your heart this morning. And I've titled the message, What Child Is This? And in Matthew chapter 22, in verse number 41, really if you go back to verse 15, the 22nd chapter of Matthew is a chapter where Jesus' adversaries are coming to Him. And verse number 15 says, Then the Pharisees went and plotted how they might entangle Him in His talk. You know, Jesus is giving... uh, He's preaching the Sermon on the Mount. He's talking. He's saying all types of things. And he has angered the Pharisees. And by the way, uh, if you'll notice, it says they sent to him their disciples in verse 16 with with the Herodians. And you won't catch this unless you do a little research. But the Pharisees and the Herodians were bitter enemies. The Pharisees were the conservative religious sect of, of Judaism... Uh, 2,000 years ago, they hated the Roman occupiers and anybody that Rome put their stamp of approval on. They were what we might call patriots. They wanted a free Palestine, a free Israel, unshackled from Roman rule. Well, guess who the Herodians were? They were more of a political party who, who supported Herod, who was installed basically as an occupying governor by the Romans. So here you have these two enemies, the Pharisees and the Herodians. They have been united by a common enemy, and that is Jesus. They both hate Jesus. So they've come together, and they're going to try to destroy and trap Jesus to get Him in trouble with something He says. So they come to Him, and we're not going to go through all of this, but you'll remember the Pharisees, they start out by asking Him a political question. Very politically charged environment 2,000 years ago in ancient Israel. You had the Roman occupiers. You had people, as I said, that wanted a free uh, Jewish state. So it was very highly charged. And the Romans were always looking for dissent and somebody who was speaking out against their rule because they wanted to stamp that and knock it out, as Barney Fife would say, nip it in the bud before it got started. So they were always looking out for anybody who might be a troublemaker. So they said, hey, we'll ask him... Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? Well, you all know what Jesus said. Jesus said, hand me a coin. And they handed him a coin. He said, whose image is on this coin? And they said, Caesar's. And he said, we'll render under Caesar. Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. And give to God what belongs to him. Well, next up is the Sadducees. And they were, of course, another uh, party that was in opposition to the Pharisees. They were the liberals of the day. The Pharisees were the conservatives of the day. The Sadducees were the religious liberals. They didn't believe in the supernatural. They denied there was any resurrection. They did follow the Old Testament. They thought it was a good way to try to live, but they just didn't believe any super, in the supernatural or the resurrection. So they came to Jesus and they said, we're going to trick him with a theological question. So they asked him a question. And they gave him, you know the example, because they didn't believe in the resurrection, they said, okay, we had this guy, and he married this woman, they didn't have any children, and he died. And by the way, ancient Jewish custom, if a man died with no children, if he had living brothers, they would take his wife, and if they had any children, that those children would be attributed to the first husband. So a way to carry on, if you will, that, that lineage. So 
The, the first man died and the wife married the brother, the second brother. Well, you know, went through seven brothers. God bless her. Or maybe I should say, God help them. She must have been something else because she killed all seven of those men. All seven of them died. And the Sadducees finally, the seventh one dies. And finally the woman dies. And they said, you know, in the resurrection, whose wife will she be since all seven were married to her? And Jesus, you know, he answered them and he said, you don't know the power of God because in the resurrection that we are like the angels of God. They neither marry nor are given in marriage. So Jesus diffused that question. And so the Pharisees, it was their turn again. They came with a question and they said, well, tell us the greatest commandment of all. And many of you will remember how Jesus answered that. He said, the first commandment is that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and you love your neighbor as yourself. And the second commandment is, yes, that you love your neighbor as yourself. I already said it. He said, on these two hang all the law and the prophets. So Jesus has pretty much, you know, silenced his critics. They came at him with the best they've got, and they thought surely they would trick him in a political controversy or a, a, a theological question that has no good answer, the Sadducees thought, and then the Pharisees thought they would trip, trip, trick him with a theological question. So they've asked their three questions and they've come up empty. Now Jesus has a question. Notice in verse number 41. Matthew chapter 22, verse 41. So the Bible says, While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, Say, Now if Jesus asked this question, it's an important question. He says, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? And they said to him, the son of David. And he said to them, well, let's stop there for just a moment. Why did they say the son of David? Everybody knew 2,000 years ago if you were a Jew and you were waiting for the Messiah to come, that the Messiah was going to be a descendant of King David. What they were looking for 2,000 years ago was somebody to make Israel great again. Not to get into any kind of political controversy, but really that was it. That was it. I'm telling you, that is who they were looking for. They wanted somebody who was going to make Israel great again, who was going to cast off the Roman occupiers, and they could look back and read about King David and what a mighty nation Israel was under King David, how he conquered all the nations around them, and they thought, boy, if we could just be like it was in the good old days. You know, back when Israel was somebody, back when we were respected around the world and, and around our neighbors, I mean, Israel, we, we, we didn't tote water for anybody. I mean, we were our own nation. We were independent. And now we've got these foreign occupiers who are trampling down our nation. And, and uh, you know, we just want another David. We want a King David to come and make us great again. That's who they were looking for. They were looking for a Messiah, and so they said, He's the Son of David. Were they right? Absolutely. According to the Scripture, He was going to be the Son of David. But Jesus answered back. Jesus said in verse 43, He said to them, How then does David in the Spirit call Him Lord, saying, and He quotes there in verse number 44 from Psalm 110, He says, The Lord... This is David speaking. The Lord, speaking of God, said to my Lord, talking about the Messiah, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And Jesus in verse 45 says, If David then calls him Lord, 
How is he his son? Certainly, under the etiquette of the Jewish world 2,000 years ago, really the whole Eastern world, it would be unthinkable for a father to pay homage to his son by calling him such a high title as Lord. And Jesus makes the statement, if, if the Messiah is the son of David, how in the world, in Scripture, does David refer to his son as his Lord? Well, what was their answer to that? Verse number 46, And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day on did anyone dare question him anymore. That's one way to silence your critics. Uh, They were criticizing Jesus, trying to trap him, and Jesus, he answered their questions, and he turned around and asked them a question. And that is the question that I want us to take a few minutes this morning and examine because Jesus asked the question about himself. And the point that Jesus was making is that the Messiah, yes, he is going to be the son of David, But he is much, much more than you think he is. And what a pertinent question for this time of year, this Christmas season, when so many people enjoy celebrating the birth of a baby in the manger in Bethlehem and all the the joy and the peace that that, that, uh, we talk about in the Christmas season, the message of the angels, peace on earth, goodwill toward men, and and just this idea of goodwill. Everybody embraces that. And and the real message of Christmas is, yes, that baby did come 2,000 years ago. Yes, he was born in a manger in Bethlehem. Yes, he did come. And the angels did announce his birth with, with the message of peace on earth, goodwill to men. But the message is that Jesus is much more than a baby in a manger. He is much more than someone who is bringing peace and goodwill. And that's what we want to examine this morning. And first of all, let's start with Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. And there is where Matthew, who recorded the passage that we just read, he says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, the first thing we should make known and make absolutely sure of is that the Pharisees as I mentioned earlier, were absolutely correct when they said that the Messiah was the son of David. Because if there's anything clear in the Old Testament, it is that the Messiah was going to be descended from David. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, you all know most likely this prophecy. There the prophet says, Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of His government and peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over His kingdom to order and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Luke 1, verse 31. When the angel is announcing the birth of Jesus, he tells Mary, Behold... You will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and you will call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. So the Bible is clear that Jesus was a son of David. He was a descendant, according to the flesh, of David. And so he was a king. Now we know the Jews rejected him. You know, the Bible tells us 
uh, over in John 1, 1, He came to His own. His own did not receive Him. But as many as did receive Him, to them He gave the right to become the children of God. So Jesus was the rightful King of Israel. The Jewish people rejected that King. And by the way, you know, when the wise men came, do you remember they came to Herod and they said, we're looking for He that is born King of the Jews. Another thing you may not know unless you've done a little study about that period of time and about King Herod was that was a title that the Romans had given Herod was King of the Jews. And he loved that title. He guarded that title jealously. That that was who he had always wanted to be, was King of the Jews. And they gave him that title in reward for his loyalty. And so it's kind of interesting when the, the wise men come up and they say, we're here to see the King of the Jews, he that's been born King of the Jews. No doubt that caused a flutter in old King Herod's heart. Because that was his position. And that explains one of the reason, reasons that he wanted to know who this king was and he wanted to try to find out and eliminate him before he ever got started. But of course the Jewish people rejected Jesus as their king. And the Bible tells us that one day he's coming back. Acts 1.11 where the angel told the disciples, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. So number one, Jesus is the son of David. He is a king. He is a sovereign child. He is a king. What do you owe a king? You owe a king, number one, obedience. Secondly, you owe a king loyalty. And thirdly, you owe a king even your very life. You must be willing to give your life in obedience to your sovereign, to your king. So Jesus... Based on Scripture, who is Jesus? What child is Jesus? He is the son of David. He is the king of Israel. He is the king of Jews, but he's not only the king of the Jews, he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He's our king. And so when we think of that baby in a manger, we think of our king, King Jesus. We used to sing a song when I was growing up. When King Jesus comes to live with us again, he will show his righteous love to every man. And so Jesus is a king. And as a king, we should treat Him as a king. And we should give Him our obedience. We should give Him our loyalty. And we should give Him our life. Because He is the Son of David, our king. But remember, the reason Jesus asked that question, they got that part right. But Jesus wanted them to know that He was more than just a descendant of the ancient Israelite King David. He was not only the son of David, but notice in Mark chapter 6 verse 3, when Jesus is preaching and everybody's coming to hear him preach and he's performing miracles, those that knew him said, now wait a minute, I know this guy. He's nothing special. Is not this the carpenter, they said in Mark 6 verse 3, is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary? The son of Mary. Now remember, people just assumed that, Mary, that Mary's son Jesus was Joseph's son or perhaps uh, an illegitimate child by some other father prior to their union together. As a matter of fact, some uh, a Jewish um, story that was told, kind of a rumor that was told in the early church was that Jesus' father was a Roman soldier. And you know, my goodness, if you wanted to, if you wanted to really... Uh, blackball somebody in, in, in ancient uh, Israel 2,000 years ago, that would have been the perfect villain. 
You know, he's the son of an occupying Roman soldier. I don't know, some of you may remember after World War II when uh, the Allies went into France. And some of you have seen old videos perhaps. And, and the women who had perhaps been the girlfriends of some German soldiers and even had children by German soldiers. It's kind of a sad thing to see, but they paraded many of these women. They shaved off all their hair. And they, and they made them walk through the street and shame them in Paris because they had been lovers with the occupying Germans and had children with the Germans. So they were, they were looked upon uh, terribly. You think about in, in Vietnam. You know, many uh, children who were born to Vietnamese mothers by American soldiers. Of course, that would be very obvious because you, you would be able to tell, uh, you know, that they were not fully Vietnamese when they were born. And, of course, they were looked upon in a very bad way. As a matter of fact, many of them were allowed to be, to be immigrated into the United States. So if you wanted to put a black ball on Jesus, you'd say, well, he's the illegitimate child of a Roman soldier. That, would, that was his father. But nobody knew that Jesus was born of a virgin except Mary and Joseph. And the Bible tells us in Luke chapter 1, verse 34, when the angel came to Mary, that the Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you, and that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now, I love what verse 37 says. If you go down, the angel continues to say in verse 36, Indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and it is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. And verse 37 says, For with God nothing will be impossible. Jesus was born of a virgin. Mary was a virgin, and Jesus was conceived by God in her womb by the Holy Spirit. Isaiah 7.14, a prophecy says, The Lord Himself will give you a sign. A virgin will conceive and bear a son, and you will call His name Emmanuel, which is God with us. So not only was Jesus the son of David, who is the king, a sovereign child, He is our king, but He is the son of Mary, a virgin, which means He is a supernatural child. Now what does that mean to you and I? It means that Jesus is one. Remember what verse 37 said after the angel announced that to Mary? You're going to have a child and you're a virgin. That's impossible. Your cousin Elizabeth, who's now, we don't know her exact age, but she was on up in years past the age of childbearing. Everybody said she's never going to have any children. All of a sudden she becomes pregnant, which, who, who we know is John the Baptist. And she, the, the angel ends that with saying, For with God nothing will be impossible. When Jesus is the son of Mary, that means that God is not limited by the laws of this planet. God is not limited by the laws of nature. God is not limited by any law because God created those laws. And with God, nothing shall be impossible. That should give you and I hope. When we think about Jesus as the son of David, it causes us to want to obey Him and to give Him our loyalty, to give Him our life. But when we think about Jesus as the son of Mary the supernatural child, the one who was born of a virgin, then that, my friend, tells us and encourages us that we can have hope, that we should never despair, as Jesus told the man who came to Him wanting help for His child. He says, only believe. All things are possible. Only believe. So that's the message 
of Jesus as the son of Mary, the supernatural child. His very birth on this earth occurred with a miracle. And my friend, God can do anything. Anyone can come to Him. All things are possible with God. Well, look in Mark 10, verse 45. There's another description of Jesus in Scripture. In Mark 10, verse 45, the Bible says, For even, this is Jesus speaking, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. So He's the Son of David, which means He's a king. He is the Son of Mary, a virgin girl, which means that He is a supernatural child born of a miracle. And with Him all things are possible. But now we find that He is a Son of Man. Why did Jesus refer to Himself as the Son of Man? That is a title of... That's a lowly title. That's a title that doesn't demean... It's the opposite of the Son of David. The Son of David is a kingly title. The Son of Man is a lowly title. What does that mean? Well, if you look in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, there the writer of Hebrews says, "...seeing that we have a great high priest..." And who is that high priest? That is Jesus who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Because He is the Son of Man, although He is a King, as the Son of David, although He was born of a miracle, the Son of Mary, yet He's the Son of Man. He sympathizes with our weaknesses. He understands our pain. He is, as the writer of Hebrews says, He is one who can sympathize with our weaknesses, for He was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. That word tempted can also mean tried, put to the test. And in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, Paul says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. As the Son of Man, Jesus gave us an example. He came as one of us. And the Bible says that He understands our test and our trials and our sorrows and our weaknesses. That He is one who has been tempted and tested as we are. What does that mean to us? It means that Jesus understands your sorrow. Whatever it is you're going through, Jesus understands. Whatever it is, Jesus cares. Whatever it is, Jesus is touched by your tears. I saw someone put a devotion online here the other day, and I, I thought it was a great, you know, one of those great uh, where a picture's worth a thousand words, and it, and it had a devotion page or a journal, and uh, it had someone had wrote, Dear God, and then the rest of the page was blank, but there were four teardrops that had fallen on the page. And it said, God understands the language you're speaking. Sometimes you don't have words. All you have is a broken heart. Sometimes you, you don't know what to say. Just dear God. And, and Jesus is one who can hear that kind of prayer. 
He doesn't need a fancy prayer. You don't have a priest. You don't have to have a priest or a preacher to make a way for you. You just need a heart that's crying out to someone to help. Lord, help me. Think about blind Bartimaeus beside the roadside. And Jesus walked by and said, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. That's really what the writer of that old hymn had in mind when they penned, Do not pass me by. While on others thou art calling, do not pass me by. Pass me not, O gentle Savior. Hear my humble plea. And you may feel like, well, I'm just, I don't know much about religion. I don't know much about the Bible. But I know something's missing. Jesus understands. He's the Son of Man. He came. He knows what you're going through better than you know yourself. And He comes to minister. That's what He said. He didn't come to be ministered unto, but to minister. I think one of the most wonderful pictures in the, in, in the Bible... We're going to have communion next Sunday night, special communion time, when we remember Jesus and His disciples as they had their last supper that, where they were celebrating the Jewish feast of Passover. And you remember what Jesus did? He washed the feet of His disciples. And you think about Jesus now. He's the Son of David. He's the King. And He's the Son of Mary. He's born of a virgin. He's a supernatural being. But He's the Son of Man. And he gets down on his knees and he puts an apron around his, his waist and he begins to wash the disciples. And Peter understood the significance. And bless his heart, you remember what Peter did? Peter said, oh no, you're not washing my feet. No way. Peter thought, you are my master. You are my king. There's no way I'm going to allow you to take the job of my slave, my servant, and wash my feet. And Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, you can be, have none of you cannot be mine. Or you, you can't have any... You can't be mine. And remember Jesus, Peter said, well, not only my feet, Lord, but my head and my hands. Wash everything. If that's the case, I want to be yours completely. And I am yours totally. And so Jesus was the Son of Man. He understands. You know, I've shared this story before, but I love my Uncle Jimmy. My mother's, I love all my relatives, obviously, but... I really love my Uncle Jimmy, my mama's brother. I don't really see him that much anymore. But, but uh, you know, I, his son James and I were about the same age. And he, you know, my daddy, I love my daddy to death, but he was always working. You know, daddy, he was, he's driving a truck or somewhere. And Uncle Jimmy seemed like he was always going fishing, you know, or going hunting somewhere. And uh, he'd take me and James, and, uh, and we'd go hunting with him. And just, just go fishing and hunting and all kind of things. And, and some of you know James was killed in an automobile wreck back in 19... 84, his son. And uh, so that was obviously a big thing for us, really, and obviously for him, although I didn't understand at the time exactly what it was like. But after Cody got killed, I remember my Uncle Jimmy. He's, Uncle Jimmy's, you know, he's, he's, he's a great guy, but, but he's not, you know, he doesn't talk a whole lot in front of people or anything. And, uh, but he come by our house at some point after that, and I remember he just sat with me and he just kind of talked and he talked about some of after James got killed and talked about a dream he had about James and how that affected him. And you know, that I would say as much as any visit of anybody that did anything was to have someone that I loved, my Uncle Jimmy. And I remembered when that happened. But I knew that he knew. I knew that he knew exactly what I was going through. Because I had seen him go through it when I was just a young man. Loy and I had just started dating when that happened. I, I, I remember seeing him go through it. And then he come to, to comfort me. And it wasn't that he said a special word 
Or it wasn't that he read a special verse out of the Bible that all of a sudden I thought, okay, that's it. <laughs> oh, it's, it's going to be okay now. No, not nothing going to make it okay. But I just needed somebody to put their arm around me and, and tell me. And I had people doing that all around me, but it was special because I knew he understood. I knew he understood. And that's who Jesus is. He's the Son of Man. You know, your friends, that they can go with you so far and they can tell you they love you, but only Jesus understands because He's your Creator. And whatever it is, whatever pain that you're carrying, whatever brokenness you have, I'm telling you, bring it to Him. He's the Son of Man. He is the suffering servant. He came not just as the King. That's the whole reason He asked the Pharisees that question. They didn't understand who the Messiah really was. They just saw Him as a King, somebody to make Israel great again. But He's much more than that. He's not just the king. He is the supernatural son of Mary, born of a virgin. He is the suffering servant, the son of man, who came not to be served, but to serve, not to be ministered unto, but to minister, which is an amazing statement to make. That Jesus would come to do just that. But He does, and He's still doing that. He's ministering today through the Holy Spirit. He's ministering to you, and He's ministering to me. Well, the last one that we're going to look at, Matthew 27, verse 54. There the Bible says, So when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they feared greatly, saying, Truly this was the Son of God. Mark 1.1 The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And of course, John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Yes, He's the Son of David. He is a king. And we owe Him our obedience, our loyalty, our life. Yes, He is the Son of Mary, born of a virgin, a supernatural child, and with God all things are possible. And yes, He's the Son of Man, a suffering servant who came to minister and to walk humbly among us as the most humble of people. But He is, and this is another part the Pharisees did not understand, He is the Son of of God. He is the Son of God, the Savior child, the divine child, one who is one with God. And as that, He lived on this life a perfect life. The Bible says over in 1 John chapter 3, verse 4, whoever commits sin commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And you know that He, that is Jesus, was manifested to take away our sins and in Him there is no sin. And also in 1 Peter 1, verse 18, it says, Knowing that you were redeemed with corruptible things, not were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. Jesus was that son of David. He was that son of Mary. And he was that son of man. But he was the son of God. He came and he lived on this earth a sinless life. There's no... You know, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, Jesus never had to apologize. He never had to say, I'm sorry. I didn't mean that. He, ne he never had to go back and, and redo something because it didn't work out like he had originally planned. Jesus lived a perfect life. He never got angry and said, boy, I shouldn't have. You remember when he cleaned out the temple, overturned the tables, and chased everybody out with a whip? By the way, I think that's something to remember. Everybody says, what would Jesus do? And I always like to say, when you say, what would Jesus do? Remember, 
That includes overturning tables and chasing people with a whip. Okay? Because that's what Jesus did. He chased them out of the temple with a whip. But Jesus, after that was over, He said, you know, I got carried away. I, I, I shouldn't have done all that. I, I just carried away. Jesus was perfect. Everything He did, He did perfectly. He didn't get too mad. He didn't get too sad. He didn't, he didn't do anything beyond what He should have done. Now, that's why we need a Savior because there's none of us can say that. And that's why He came. He lived that life so we can live through Him. We can give Him our failures and give Him our sin and our brokenness and we can take from Him His righteousness, His goodness, His peace. That's what Christianity is, my friend, bringing your broken life to Jesus and taking His full life from Him. Remember He said, I've come that you might have life and might have it more abundantly. Well, what does that tell us if He's the Son of God? And He came and lived that perfect life and He offered to us the payment for sin and He is the only path to the Father. Remember Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No, one's come to the, no one comes to the Father except through Me. That tells us, my friend, that Jesus can save anybody. Anywhere, anytime. He is the Son of God. And He lived a perfect life. It doesn't matter who you are or where you are. Jesus can save he can give you a new life. We sang a wonderful hymn a moment ago about the one who came. He came to give the sons of earth, born that they no more might die, born to give them second birth. You know, last Sunday we talked about starting over. Starting over again. You can't have a new life. You can start over. And my friend, when we say that Jesus is the Son of God, that reminds us that He has the power to save. Like the old song says, He saves. So who is Jesus? Jesus asked that question of the Pharisees. Who is Jesus? Who is the Messiah? Is He the Son of David? Well, He is the Son of David. And they answered correctly. He is our King that we owe our obedience and our loyalty and our love. But He's much more than just that. He is the Son of Mary. He is born of a virgin. The supernatural incarnation through Mary of God. And He's the Son of Man. He came as a suffering servant to serve us and to walk with us in our valleys and to give us His grace. And He is the Son of God, the One who comes to save from the guttermost to the uttermost, wherever you are or whatever you've done, Jesus can save and He can make a person whole again. Let's pray. Father, we come to You in Jesus' name. And Lord, I pray that You will help us to see and help us to understand, Father, that when Jesus came, He was not simply a baby, not simply given to the Jewish people, but He is the Son of David, the Son of Mary, the Son of Man, and the Son of God. All of these things He came. He is all of those things, and He is all of that to us. And I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here who does not know this Jesus, not simply as a historical figure, but they do not know Him as Savior, as Lord, as their King, as the one who comforts them. I pray, Lord, you would draw them to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. I want you to keep your eyes closed. We're going to do things a little bit different this morning. But as your eyes are closed this morning, if you're here today, and maybe you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, maybe you're here and the words that I've spoken this morning, God's touched your heart and you know that you don't know this Jesus. The Bible says if you'll confess Him with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you'll be saved. And I want to ask you as your eyes are closed and your heads are bowed, if you're here this morning, I just want you to pray this prayer. You pray this to you and God. 
You say, God, I love you. I give myself to you. I believe that Jesus is my Savior. And Father, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. And I confess him as my Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. As we stand and sing a hymn, if you're here this morning, maybe you prayed that prayer just a moment ago. Maybe God spoke into your heart. Maybe you're here and the Lord has spoken to you. You want to just come pray. But if you prayed that prayer and you've accepted Jesus, I'll be glad to speak with you at the front. And I'll be glad to pray with you. The Bible says you should make a public profession of faith. You just obey the Holy Spirit as we stand and sing.